Welcome to the Voicemail Poems podcast for winter 2018. This is Logan Cure, your host. I am joined by my fabulous co-host, I.S. Jones. Hey, I.S. Hey. So we have started a new thing where we are beginning every podcast with a little bit of Poe Biz. So uh, I.S., tell me what's going on in Poe Biz. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to Luther Hughes. Every now and again, Luther does a segment called, you know, Lose Poetry Hour, where he talks about or he champions poets, you know, modern or not. So we basically tweet back and forth a thread of poems that are themed in some capacity. So he's done Southern poets. He's done Black poets. This past week, he did a segment with three co-hosts. I was the last of the three in which we honored Black, His- honor Black History Month and the Black Panther movie with Black poets living or otherwise today. And I just want to make a point about how it's really important as poets to to speak about our contemporaries and our past, so that way we can continue on the beautiful work of championing poets and poetry. I've got a little bit of good news in Poe business. I'm going to start curating a reading series at a place called Wild Detectives in Dallas. Wild Detectives is a really cool spot. Um, It's like a bookstore and a bar and a coffee shop. And I'm going to start uh, bringing poets in once a month. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. Um, And like you were saying, it's it's so important for poets to champion each other. I'm really amped to get the opportunity to like bring people in bring their work to the people. I'm making sure that I'm doing everything possible, getting their books on shelves. Um, I'm trying to work getting reviews written and and put out for the books uh, for for poets that I bring in. So I'm super stoked. Yeah. History has shown us repeatedly that poets keep other poets alive. You know what I mean? Writers keep other writers alive. Absolutely. Now it's time for poems. All right. Poem time. (laughs) I'm excited. We got some really good ones this time. So our first poem, I think, was uh, one of your favorites. Taunts to the Clan by Kerwin Sutherland. Kerwin Sutherland, I'm calling from Philadelphia, PA. Taunts to the Clan. Ku Klux what? I'm such. A tool for America. Hand scraped raw, hammered deep into cotton. Fly up and it rains gold. I'm a Midas. I was forced to turn inanimate objects into fortune. A field of green picked over and rotten. I'm a supposed dead used problem. Both birth and demise alleged between trying to kill and forgetting about. I'm a question of hoping to see if I rise. How much can a country heap on a back until it concaves into a nail? America's only seeming quandary. You jealous? Hey, Clue. Can I call you crew? What you gonna do with that cross besides make me laugh? A tongue is a fling. A black body is a cross. You worship me? Little old burnt thing used to be ticked to your ninny. Now, every time you lynch me, you clone me. Behind you, it's a me. Oh, you thought that noose would kill me? 
no, 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 no. I mean, not really me, but another me. Remember the clone? The string up and teleport? So every molecular thing served up to slaughter still lives structurally, same skin and everything, but equipped with the memory of your evil. I do strange things with memory, like let it drip into a knife, but don't worry. I haven't breathed here enough to know how to use it. I don't get the sheet. I never got the sheet. I mean, sure, back when it was just as much about costuming fear as it was a mask, but now it's not even necessary. We have lived long enough to spot a racist. A white person could yawn, and I could tell you if they whisper nigger under their breath in boardrooms or if they loudly proclaim their lust for my blood. It's all the same to me. All engineers of the type ecosystem that thirst for black death. So take off those gosh darn sheep. Join us. Reveal how easily you slip into assembly. You'd be surprised. So what drew you to this poem? I think this is a very American poem. I think, and I think that it's a saying, saying something is an American poem can be very vague. But I think I say this specifically because it is very grounded in American history from the voice of a black person reminding the clan, reminding the clan or maybe even clan members that there is no killing us. The narrator um, navigates us back to slavery, but more so how much of a commodity the black black people are to America. I'm such a tool for America. Hands scraped raw, hammered deep into cotton, fly up and it rains gold. I'm a Midas, but was forced to turn an M and objects to fortune. Here it also exposes um, the clan members' cowardice. An image that is meant to incite terror is now turned into a movement, a moment of worship. Hey, Clue, can I call you Clue? What are you going to do with that cross? With that cross besides, make me laugh. A tongue is a flame. A black body is a cross. You worship me? Here, the speaker further dissipates the power by mocking that same clan, that same clan member, relegating them to, to a cute pet name, Clue. Hands spread out in laughter. The body is now a cross. The body is worshipped by the enemy. The clan member should fear Black people and not the other way around. Who knows death better than a Black body? A body that comes into the world endangered. Hiding is easy. But for a body that can never hide, it is something that we always have to negotiate every day. The fact that we have to move through the world knowing that anything at any moment could kill us. And in that, there's a kind of strength. Versus a clan member has the luxury of committing their evil repeatedly under the guise of a sheet, under the guise of a badge, under the guise of legislation, under the guise of a suit. At the very end of the poem, the speaker reveals to the clan member that the blade has been turned to their chest the whole time. So take off those gosh darn sheets. Join us. Reveal how easily you slip into assembly. You'd be surprised. I love how the poem definitely looks its enemy in the eye and does not flinch. Yeah, the tone, you're right, is so effective. Uh, I, f- mm-hmm. I feel like I'm taken by this poem. That opening question, Ku Klux what? <laughs> like from that from that very moment, I'm like in it. Just right? begins unbothered. <laughs> like who who are you supposed to be? Am I supposed to know you from somewhere? Like <laughs> yeah, and I, it does such interesting things with like line and sound. Hand scraped raw, hammered deep into cotton. That there's a lot of that repetitive sound. That I think is yeah. really beautiful. 
Yeah, and I think that all the S's in the, in the fourth section, uh, served up to slaughter, still live structurally, same skin and everything. So beautiful. Yeah, the poem is very fun in the way it, the way it parses out language. I think that, that moment in the closing is really powerful. A white person could yawn and I could tell you if they whisper the N-word under their breath. I saw, saw the yeah. line, I put my laptop down. I was like, sound the alarm, y'all. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, it yeah. got real. <laughs> it sure did. And I feel like that's really true. Like when, when you are somebody whose body is in danger, you very quickly learn to identify the problem, right? You learn to identify danger before danger reveals itself. Uh, so you can find more about Kerwin Sutherland at www.kerwinsutherland1984.com. So the next poem that we're going to discuss is Wealth by Zach Blackwood after Aziza Barnes. Hi, this is Zach Blackwood calling from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And this piece is called Wealth. I wrote it in a workshop with Aziza Barnes. My head is full of blood, steamed like latte foam, pressing up infused seams in my skull, burning through folds in my brain like a shot luge. My head is the generating station in the Delaware River, developed into luxury condos with beds that fill the whole room. My head is a smoking suite with smoke stains in the corners of the ceilings, and the ice cubes smell like the smoke stains and that is disappointing in an expected kind of way. And I'm laying in my underwear on every single bed, rolling and sighing in the sheets and taking notes. How do I feel here? What did I do here? How is the bounce? Maybe a man is there smelling sweaty or like flat champagne sticky about the nape, and I like to feel wanted, or at least I like to be paid what I told that feeling I wanted or at the very least, I'm shoveling black sand into some deficit, punching out and watching the direct deposit cartwheel in at 3 a.m. I'm trying to convince everyone that this is what I do. I lay in the beds and turn inputs to outputs, and I go out with my friends when I feel like they miss me, and I make wry jokes about my own self-worth and my, loneliness, my lonesomeness, and they laugh. And I write about the things that they laugh about in language opaque enough that I don't even feel it anymore. And I'm naked, looking out a big window in a luxury condo, where my spirit is hung on a bamboo hanger like a bathrobe. Of course, it is the 4 a.m. hour where nothing is provocative anymore. I read a magazine article in some design rag about the fire hydrant pumping station across the river. Without it, they'd never have built the station or turned the station into condos. The fire would have burned in the middle of the river and the lights would all ball gag themselves. I feel very bad for the factory. Does he like to gorge himself in big sucks and swallows from the river just so that people can tap it from hundreds of holes miles away? Thank you. The outward facing side of this poem is where the language is, is kind of fun and free and loose and has these very curious turns that I that you don't necessarily you wouldn't necessarily think of. My head is full of blood, steamed like latte foam, pressing the open seams in my skull, burning through folds in my brain like a shot luge. I would never think of of blood becoming steam like a latte 
I would never think of um, blood burning through the brain like a shot luge. I love what this poem does with language. I love what the poem admits to itself. I'm not sure what the hell I'm doing, but I'm going to keep doing it until something, until, until I feel something. And I just, this is another moment where I wanted to throw my laptop because I'm like, get out of my head. Who are you? How dare you, how dare you turn my insides into outsides and let the whole world see my softness? The speaker is doing things that are sort of empty and dangerous, right? Yeah. And, and what it's like to be in that place where you, where you make those choices and present being that person to the people around you. This is just what I do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that moment of my spirit is hung on a bamboo hanger like a bathrobe. The speaker is deeply disconnected to the body. When I think that that next line, I go out with my friends when I feel like they miss me. Yeah, like the sort of disconnect from the, from the, the, if the speaker misses them, they're not they're not ready to say it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It feels as though the speaker doesn't does. This is another reason why I just feel so deeply connected to the poem because it feels as though the speaker. Does what they can to not feel like a burden. So the the final moment, it's such a shift, right? So we're we're very much like in the eye, right? It's it's about the speaker does this, the speaker thinks that, right? And and then this closing moment about the fire hydrant pumping station across the river. Without it, they'd never have built the station or turned the station into condos. The fire would have burned in the middle of the river, and the lights would all ball gag themselves. I feel very bad for the factory. Does he like to gorge himself in big sucks and swallows from the river just so that people can tap it from hundreds of holes miles away? All the word. Yeah. Yeah. The ball gag and gorge and suck and swallow and holes. Like all of that is very sexual. (laughs) (laughs) And the, and the personification of, of he, in that last stanza, of, like that inanimate object giving it a, a male pronoun. Yeah, and I think um, if you always have to parse out life in terms of how, how many more pieces of yourself you have to give, um, you can only give so much before you have nothing left for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I guess that kind of comes back to the line of uh, like turning inputs into outputs and yeah. Sort of that, that sort of uh, machine-type language in that stanza. Yeah, I'm glad we got this one. It's so interesting. Yeah. It's so different, surprising, you know? You can find more of Zach Blackwood on Twitter at Black Whom. Now for our last poem, Sonnet for Trans Lifeline in February 2017 by Sam Rush. Hi, this is Sam Rush calling from Boston. And this is a sonnet for Trans Lifeline in February 2017, and for Kai. It snowed last week, and the clouds slept lower. I wonder where your body went without you. Who unraveled it, and what came falling from their mouths? I think of you, a weighted sky, ground softening itself in welcome, what it is to bury 
to deem ready, to give back, to kill, to call a body just a body, to turn to flesh and name the rest, the lost, the still of us, fever dream prophecies of flightless birds about the heavens they can't reach. We know the sky was falling long before these days. It's just, it seems, the ground thaws out softer for us now. Hungry, a buckling, a kind. Oh man, this poem. So I love poems that take a fixed form and do something surprising. This follows a lot of the sonnet rules. Most of the lines have ten syllables, but it but it doesn't mess with the rhyme, and it doesn't really uh, stick to like strict metrical patterns, right? Mm-hmm. The way that the lines are managed, I think, are so beautiful. There, there's one line that's uh, that's only eight syllables, and that's dream prophecies of flightless birds. And I think that it's is just gorgeous. such a stunning line. Like, damn yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I want every poem, this is what every poem we chose. I was ready to throw my laptop out the window. Like, you writing ass poets. I love y'all. <laughs> uh, that, and the opening line is so, it snowed last week and the clouds slept lower. Like, that yeah. personification is so stunning. We know the sky was falling long before these days. It's just, it seems, the ground thaws out softer for us now, hungry or buckling or kind. And and those three words are so hungry. It indicates desire, right? And and buckling is a giving in, and and kind is more like like grace. You know, that's just so... Which is it? Is it all of it, you know? Yeah. The the poem seems to... um be very aware of how it, how it has to understand, how it acquiesces to this very painful reality. The poem, the poem feels as though the poem wanted to write itself for a long time. You know what I mean? Yeah. The choice, the choice of language, how deliberate the use of punctuation is, the, the line breaks. It feels as though this is a poem that wanted to write itself for a very long time. And now was the time. And I love the way the Sam delivers it. That's one thing that's like so different about the thing that we do, right? The, the recording of the voicemail is a very particular kind of recording. And, mm-hmm. and this poet just fucking knocked it out of the park. Like the, <laughs> the delivery is so careful and beautiful. Like I just, I'm so haunted, not just by the words, but by the voice. I love this poem. I am grateful for this poem. I'm humbled by this poem. All right. You can find more from Sam Rush at www.samlrush.com. The music featured on this podcast is by True Key. For more, visit soundcloud.com slash True Key. Voicemail Poems is published quarterly. Check it out at voicemailpoems.org if you'd like to submit. 
If you love what you heard on this podcast, please consider becoming a contributor to our Patreon at patreon.com slash voicemail poems and reviewing us on iTunes. Thanks to our Patreon supporters, Tyler Byrne, Lena Reinerson, and Bree Sparks. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.